All right, before I begin, I just want to ask a question. Raise your hand nice and high if you do not have, there's going to be a piece of paper in your bulletin that says something like this. It's going to say someone you can share the gospel with, and then there'll be another sentence underneath. If you can raise your hand nice and high, we'll have uh, Paul and, and someone will hand deliver it to you and Danny. Just raise it high. We're going to need this for the end of the service. So I'll wait a few moments as these get passed out. Uh oh. It's for something later on at the end of the service, but I'll figure we'll hand it out now before we begin. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you as your body, a body of believers, and we just praise you this morning. We thank you for this church building, for air conditioning. (laughs) We praise you for these blessings, Lord, even the ones that we don't even think about. We praise you and we thank you for them. I pray this morning this will be a time of edification, a time of growing, a time of looking at your word, and if we need conviction, we're convicted, and if we need encouragement, we find encouragement from your spirit. I pray that your spirit will lead us this morning. I pray that I, uh, you'd protect what I say. And I pray, Lord, that you lead me into speaking your word, your truth. And, Lord, there's nothing I can add to your word that you haven't said already perfectly. If I add anything to it, it just weakens it. So help me preach boldly this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're at the end of this three-week series. I don't really have a, a name or a title for where we've been the past three weeks other than just looking at God's Word and asking ourselves questions. Now, two weeks ago, we started off by asking the question, what does a church that is pleasing to God look like? And we looked at the early church in Acts chapter 2, about verse 42, towards the end of that chapter. And we asked the question, or I basically said, just because a church has the name church on it, just because a building has a cross on the stage, doesn't mean that God is pleased with worship. And we looked up in Malachi how God even rejected some of the, the offerings that the prophets uh, brought before God because their heart wasn't there. They were bringing their second best. They were disobeying God's commands. And really the question was, where is the fear of the Lord? And we saw that God rejected their offerings. So we looked at what a church looks like that pleases God. And there were five characteristics, just to recap. A church that's pleasing to God has devotion to God's word, to fellowship, to communion, to prayer. There's a supernatural spiritual unity and oneness within the church. The third thing was it's a church that serves each other and serves Christ. A church that prioritizes fellowship, prioritizes meeting together under the apostles' teachings and having fellowship. And then lastly, it was a church that pleases pleases God, praises God. I know that's common sense, but it needs to be said. A church pleasing to God praises God. And then last week, We looked at the question, what is a Christian that's pleasing to God look like? Now in James chapter 2, he compares something called dead faith and alive faith. Just because I claim to be a Christian and claim to love Jesus, my life could have no fruit. And you'd be like, are you really a Christian? Right? Only I know my heart, but God knows my heart even more. 
So we looked at what is a Christian that's pleasing to God? What should they look like according to God's Word? And we, we, we looked at that there should be a full commitment, a total surrender, a no plan B, and an all in to Jesus Christ, to following Him, the Gospel, and His church, Christ's church. Also, a Christian that's pleasing to God has spiritual growth, their spiritual maturity. They're not content with just staying where they're at like this, but rather they're building on their foundation and growing more and more in their faith and love and knowledge of Christ. We also looked at a Christian pleasing to God. The last one was that they're humble servants. We humbly serve one another. It's not enough to just be there serving, but to have a joyful heart the heart attitude behind it. We should be humbly serving one another. And it echoes what Isaiah and what Jesus said about the Pharisees, right? These people, they, they worship me, they glorify me, they give me honor with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in the same way, we should be humbly serving each other. And these last two weeks, I'm going to be very honest, and this is the third week today, I've been very convicted and I've been very encouraged by reading, by studying, by meditating, by, re- by just being led by the Spirit. As I'm, as I'm preparing, I'm like, oh, this is good, this is good. And then I'm like, wait, I, I, I fail in this way. Or, man, I could do better in this way. So it has been convicting for me. And as we've been comparing our faith and, and, God, and our church to the Word of God, I hope and I pray that we've been honest with each other and allowed the Spirit to convict us or to encourage us. And as I wrap up today, I want to take some time to just end with reminding us what our mission is. So based on knowing what pleases God with with how we should be his church or be his body, how we should be in our personal faith, right? based on those two things, knowing those answers, what should we do next? What is the purpose of being a Christian? And a few years ago, I took about 15 students to Camp Spofford up in New Hampshire and they offer a bunch of activities, uh, archery, rock, uh, rock climbing, blacklight dodgeball, tubing, kayaking, canoeing. And uh, I'll never forget the time that we did archery because something happened that shouldn't have happened. Now, just pretend this is a Nerf bow, right? It's not loaded, so no one's going to get hurt. But I taught archery at Camp Spofford when I worked there, and the number one rule was safety. I don't care if you miss every single shot, as long as you are being safe, and everybody leaves with the same number of fingers and toes as they started with, I'm happy. So I tell the kids, I tell our our youth group kids, I said, okay, here's how you load the bow. Don't aim it down when you load it, because if you let go, you're going to shoot your foot. Don't aim it at other people when you're loading, because you'll shoot them. Always aim downrange, right? When you take your arrow, when you put it on, aim downrange and always be there, even if you're not pulling back on the string. And I remember one girl in particular, she went like this. She said, okay, I said, all right, guys, approach. All right, pick up your bow. All right, looked around. All right, you may fire when ready. And she went like this. Hey, is this how you do it? And we all dropped. We were like, what are you doing? (laughs) We all dropped to the ground, and I'll never forget it. You know, thankfully, she wasn't drawn back, but it was enough to be like, you did not listen to the rules at all. And where I'm going with this is when I teach archery, right, the goal is to hit the target. Aim down range, hopefully you shoot straight and you hit your target. Behind the targets is a big net that in case you do miss, it, the arrow hits the net and drops down. I don't tell the kids, aim for the net because it's fun. No, you aim for the target. That is your goal. And as Christians, I want to ask us this morning, what is our goal? What is our purpose? What should we be aiming for? 
while we're here on earth. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. This is at the end of Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus Christ did his three years of public ministry, after he was crucified and died on the cross and and, and rose again three days later. This is Jesus' last word while he is on earth to his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this section of Scripture is known as the Great Commission. Right, it's Jesus' last words to his disciples, the resurrected Jesus' final word, and his command is simple in understanding. His command is crystal clear. It's not confusing. Jesus' command in verse 19 is this. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And I love that Jesus tells his disciples how to make disciples. It requires us to go. Right? This is a command to not just sit at home, not to just come to church and patiently sit and wait and, and do nothing and wait for people to come to us. It's a command to get up and to go out. A few weeks ago I mentioned don't be a bench warmer. We don't want a church full of bench warmers who just cheerlead on the side but never get onto the field and play. The usage of this word go, it's better translated or understood as this. As you are going, make disciples. So there's an understanding that we should be going already. As we are going, as we are living our life, as we're going to work, as we're shopping, as we're going to school, as we're driving, what do we do? We make disciples. And if you notice in verse number 19, right, there is, there is a word therefore. Right? Go therefore and make disciples. And if you look at the previous verse, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, because I am the sovereign Lord of the universe, I have all the authority and all the power, and I am the resurrected Christ. Go and make disciples. Because of who I am and the authority, I have the power, I have the right to commission you to make disciples. So it requires us, how do we make disciples? It requires us to go, to get out there. The second thing that according to Jesus, it requires us to baptize. And the word baptize, it literally translates to immerse in water. And what baptism is, it's a testimony to the union that we have with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. It's an outward sign that as we're submerged in water, we have died with Christ and as we rise out of the water, we've been raised to the newness of life with him. Right? It's an outward depiction of what we inwardly have believed and confessed. And scripture is clear that baptism itself is not saving. You don't get salvation by being baptized. However, baptism is an act of faith and being obedient to Jesus' command and being obedient to God's word. 
And if you think about it, and I want to be careful how I word this because I, want, I don't want there to be confusion or any mix-up. As a Christian, as we, as we read through the book of Acts, we see the Gospels preached, people uh, are, are, are repent, they're cut to their heart, the Spirit's at work in their, in their hearts, they repent, they believe, and then immediately they get baptized. And growing up, I had a poor understanding of baptism. I, I waited years after. I was actually on staff here as the youth minister early on in, in the ministry without being baptized because I was like, well, I'm not ready for it yet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spiritually mature enough yet. And I, and I remember the, the story of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. Right? He encountered Jesus. He got healed from Ananias through the Holy Spirit. And then right away, he got baptized. If anybody was disqualified for baptism, it probably would have been Saul. He was murdering Christians one day yet he was baptized the next. So I'll say this, in our sanctification, in our growth process, in maturing in our faith, right? we profess faith in Christ, we repent in our hearts, we receive the Holy Spirit, and then the next logical step, biblically, is baptism. It's the, the, I would say it's the maturing of our faith, the next step in sanctification. And back in Jesus' day, baptism was public, and it was a public declaration by Christians saying, I don't follow Rome, I don't follow the Jews, I follow Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of the way. Right? Oftentimes it would put a target on their backs, being baptized. So it requires us to go, it requires us to be baptized, or to baptize. And then lastly, Jesus says, teach, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it requires us to teach. And not every Christian is called to pulpit ministry. Not every Christian is called to, to exercise authority with using God's word in a preaching manner. However, we should be, one, promoting the ministry of preaching and teaching. But two, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to tell people and teach them about Jesus. In order to teach the word of God, we have to know the word of God. If I'm going to try to give you a movie review of a movie I've, I've never seen, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to know what I'm talking about. And then when you watch the movie, you're going to say, David, what did you tell me? Because this has nothing to do with it. And I'll be like, oh, I don't know. I just made it up. I, didn't, I never saw the movie. In the same way, if we don't know God's word, how can we expect to teach it to people? To tell them about Jesus if we don't know him? In order to make disciples, we ourselves first must be disciples of Christ. Again, how can we tell people the gospel if we don't know it? Oftentimes, that's how false gospels are spread. That's how heresy happens. When you don't fully understand and you're teaching and you're making disciples falsely. That's why last week I took some time to slowly go through the gospel. The gospel should not be a little add-on moment at the end of the sermon to appease, if there's any unbelievers here, here's the gospel. Christians, as believers, as matured Christians, we should be reminding, we should listen to the gospel, not check out when it's at the end of the sermon, or not check out because, hey, I know it already, right? It's important. Why is it important? Because to teach the gospel, we have to know the gospel. So Jesus' command to make disciples, right? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. It's a call for both the church and the individual, right? The church, as we previously discussed, the early church was made up of believers who devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They, de uh, they devoted themselves to the Word of God. They were obsessed with it. They came under the apostles to be fed and to be grown spiritually in their faith. And in the Bible, we see that church leaders, elders, pastors, 
right? What we should be doing is we should be equipping the saints. Who are the saints? All of us. We. If we are in Christ, we're saints. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does that mean? We are supposed to be a church who are making disciples. Also, it's a call for the individuals to make disciples, right? If we are disciples, we're supposed to be going out and making disciples. And as Josh read earlier, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're commanded to be ready to give an account of why we believe in Jesus. Why do we hope in Jesus? Right? We're supposed to be prepared to make a defense and to do it with what? Gentleness and respect. And it's not the pastor's job alone, it's not the missionary's job alone to go and to make disciples. Right? Some people will say, well, you know, it's, it's really just the pastor and the missionary. You know, who am I? I'm, I'm a nobody. Right? I'll, just, I'll just sit and I'll let, I'll let them go and I'll, I'll cheer them on. Right? But that's not biblical. We are all called to make disciples, both individually and also as a church body. The best way for our church, for Christ's church, and I'm not talking specifically about New Village, I mean the global church, right? Christians who are following Christ, the best way for growth is to make disciples who make disciples. That was Jesus' method. While he was here on earth, he took and trained 12 disciples to preach the good news. Well, minus Judas. And as I'm counting, I'm looking around, there's more than 12 of us here this morning. Right? And, I, and I want to encourage us with that. Every time a huge crowd came to Jesus, what oftentimes led them away? It was Jesus. It was based on what Jesus said. Right? Some people were following Jesus because they just wanted free food. They didn't want to work for their food. They were following Jesus for all the benefits. However, Christ isn't interested in that. As we looked at last week, he wants full devotion, all in. So I hope and pray that we are disciples who go out and make disciples. And I think it's worth asking the question, or I'm going to transition here a little bit, why don't we make disciples? Why, why don't we? I think the first reason is fear. Fear. Pastor Craig Groeschel, I don't, know if you've, if, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correct or not, but he's an author, a pastor, he does some podcasts. He retells a story of when he was in seminary school. He took an evangelism class, and part of their curriculum was to go and do door-to-door evangelism. And he also said he was terrified to do it. He didn't want, he didn't want to do it at all, and he also said that the class teachers encouraged them, before you knock on the door, pray. Pray. So he recounted the times over and over. He'd often, before he knocked, he'd pray, and his prayer sounded like this. God, please don't let anybody be home. All right, so every time he was about to knock, he'd pray, please, God, let no one be here. I don't want to tell them. I don't want to, say, I don't want to talk to them. All right, and he writes the rest of the chapter about really the disappointment of his heart when he was in that class. And if we're being honest, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what people are going to think about us. We often find ourselves more ashamed of the gospel. And as I read through Acts, I've been reading through Acts, the early church Christians, they prayed at every opportunity, but they also prayed for boldness. I don't know if you've picked up on that. They prayed for boldness over and over. Boldness to preach the word without fear of persecution and fear of death. 
Right? They believed that they had a God who truly answered their prayers, who gave them His Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment, a God who never leaves them. And I want to ask, do we believe in that God? When was the last time we prayed and we asked for boldness from God to share the Gospel with our neighbor, with our family, with our co-workers? I think also sometimes we're afraid of not knowing enough. Right? Sometimes I hide behind that excuse. Well, what if they ask me a question I don't know about? Over and over I see brilliant evangelists saying this. Hey, that's a great question. I don't know, but let me get back to you. Right? There's no embarrassment in that. And it's having conversation. So a lot of times we let fear stop us. The second thing, sometimes we don't make disciples. Why don't we do it? Is we don't want to offend anybody. Right? Sometimes we don't want to be that pushy car salesman and pushy to people and, and, and give them Jesus. Right? Let, let them believe their truth. That, that seems more loving. It's not. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts 2, 2, 2. Nice and easy. Acts 2, verse 22. Right? Sometimes we don't want to offend people. Acts 2, verse 22. Now this is Peter... The same Peter who walked on water, and then when the waves and the wind picked up, he got afraid and he took his eyes off Jesus and started sinking. The same Peter who Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The same Peter who, dis, who uh, uh, denied, I almost have betrayed him, who denied Jesus three times. Right? The same Peter who cut off the soldier's ear when they went to arrest Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches the gospel, and wh- this message, what he preaches saves the 3,000 plus souls that make up the early church in Acts. And this is the gospel message he preached. You tell me if it's offensive or not. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What was Peter's message here? His gospel presentation. Hey, you know Jesus, the one that we worship and follow? You killed him. You crucified him. And we see the response of them. The people said, a little later it says, they were cut to their heart because of Peter's message, really through the power of the Holy Spirit. But because of this message... Right now, I would look at that and I would say, man, Peter, this is not a good way to evangelize. Right? If you have a group of people, I probably wouldn't point the finger and blame them for this. That seems a little extreme. And what's the point I'm making here? The gospel itself is offensive. The gospel is offensive. If you're afraid to offend somebody, guess what? The gospel at its core, it's offensive. Why? The gospel demands and says that we are not good. That we are sinners... But God isn't. God is good and holy and perfect. We are not. We are totally lost in our sinful condition, but God is gracious and merciful to rescue us. We need a rescuer. We need a Savior. We are hopelessly and totally dependent on our God. If we try to make the Gospel any less than that, we're in danger of cheapening God's grace. And we looked at last week a phrase called cheap grace where you want all the blessings, all the benefits that come with following Jesus, but you don't want to surrender. You want all the blessings of Jesus without the cross, without 
a total surrender to Him. Right? The Gospel at its core says, you're not good enough, you never will be on your own. In a world today, that's, that's offensive because people are like, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm perfect, I'm, I'm better than you. Right? So if we're afraid to offend somebody, don't be. The Gospel itself is offensive. And, and the prayer and the hope is that the Gospel will cut people to their hearts. The Spirit will convict them of their sinful condition. Right, but this doesn't give us an excuse to be mean or to be pushy or offensive, right? Rather, First Peter, what Josh read, it says what? Be gentle and respectful when you preach the Word. The third thing we see, why don't we make disciples? Fear, we don't want to offend anybody, but also we really don't believe in hell. We live our lives without really believing in hell. A few years ago, this was a statistic. I don't know where it's at today. But three out of four people, 75% of people believed in a heaven. And less than 50% believed in hell. There's about 25 or 30% more that believed in a good place, right, heaven, than hell, eternal separation from God. And I think most of us have been to funerals, and I don't mean to, to, to make us sad or, or sorrowful, but we've been to funerals where we look at someone and we say, I don't think they were a Christian. Right? We, we don't know what they professed or what they believed on their deathbed, right? Only God knows that. But based on the evidence of the fruit in their lives, you could say, well, I don't know if, if they really were a Christ follower. And usually the priest or the people speaking will say, he's in a better place. You know, he was so, they were so good. And you know, now, now, they've, now they're an angel in heaven watching down over us. I'm, I'm thinking that's not biblical, right? So sometimes we don't preach the gospel and make disciples because we really don't believe in hell. And let me just say this in case I can't be any more clear. Heaven and hell are both real and they're both eternal, which means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. When Jesus was here on earth, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, this is what Jesus says. You don't have to turn, they could write it down, but he said, If your right eye causes you to sin, Cut, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one member than for your whole body to go into hell. And what is Jesus saying? He's talking about the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of hell. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye and one hand than be in hell with, with your whole body there. Also in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. I don't want to read it, I don't, but you can write that down and, and, and read it later. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. Right, the seriousness of hell. It's real, it's eternal. When was the last time we were so burdened from somebody, so far from God, that you spent the whole day and the whole night praying for them? Right, if we really believed in heaven and we really believed in hell, I would say we would sincerely care about people's eternities, their souls. And I think our actions would be transformed. Right? Sometimes we just go through and I'm like, ah, I don't feel like it. Right? Ah, I don't, I'm, I'm too tired right now. And when we say something like that, right, here's a soul who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and here I am called to make disciples, and I say, nah, Sometimes fear, 
afraid of offending people, and also we don't think with an eternal mindset stops us from making disciples. Right? Do we have this view of heaven? This is what Psalm uh, 84 says. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The author is saying, one day in God's presence is better than a thousand days in any paradise we could ever think about. Right? If eternity were always on our mind and it was first and foremost, we'd pray more for people who are lost. We would probably share Christ with everybody we've seen. And I'm not up here saying, you, you, you. It's, it's me. It's, it's us, if we're being honest. And as church members, I, I want to ask, are we merely hearers of the Word, or are we doers of the Word? What James talks about in James chapter 1. Ray Comfort, I mentioned his name last week. He's an evangelist, and you can watch some videos on YouTube of how he talks with people, how he shares the gospel with them. But this is what he said. He said, we don't need to pray for less fear when sharing the gospel, but rather more love. Right? We can pray for less fear, sure, but we should ultimately pray for more love. The more I love people, the more I, I see people as just uh, souls who are, who are going to go to heaven or hell based on their, uh, their faith in Christ or not, right? the more I love somebody, the more concerned I'm going to be about their eternal state. He says, don't pray for less fear, pray for more love. Again, here on earth, our primary goal as Christians is to glorify God through making disciples, through preaching His Word. If our primary purpose was fellowship, or coming to church, or teaching, or praising God, or singing to God, then God would just take us up to heaven. We can do all of that in heaven perfectly. But what we can't do in heaven is preach to unbelievers, is, is find people who are lost and give them the good news of the gospel. That can only be accomplished here on earth now. And my encouragement, my hope is, don't forget our mission. Right? These past three weeks, they've been a joy for me to preach. I've also said I've been convicted, I've been cut to the heart, I've been praying a whole lot more than I ever have. And I've also been encouraged throughout these weeks. And I want to end this series, right, with, with the second point for this morning. It's this. Never give up. Don't quit. Never give up. <clears throat> I want us to remember these promises that we read in God's Word. God will provide us with everything we need. Philippians chapter 4, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God will provide for us. We read it in His Word. Believe it. The second is this. God is always with us. I love this. Romans 8.38. Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, there is nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we believe that? Jesus' last words, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To the end of the earth, I am with you. 
If we try to go through our life apart from Christ, we can expect to fail. We shouldn't be surprised when we become discouraged and we fail. Jesus himself claimed that he said, what? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15. My encouragement, stay connected to Christ. Continue to trust God through the good times, right? Through the mountaintop experiences, but also through the bad times, through the valleys, through the lows of our lives. And as I read the New Testament, as I, as I meditate and, and, and just pray about it, I'm reminded of the, the Apostle Paul. If anybody had an excuse to quit or to give up, I think Paul, I'd be like, okay, yeah, he, he deserves to give up. This is what Paul went through. In and out, constantly out of prison and house arrest. He was violently flogged, whipped, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned. People tried to pick up stones and, and kill him by stoning him to death. He lived. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a whole night and day in the open sea. Listen, I've been watching Shark Week this week. I'm terrified of the open sea. Okay, I don't want to go anywhere near it. He spent his, his days constantly on the move. He was constantly in danger as he's traveling from uh, bandits or from Jews, from Gentiles, from false teachers. He, he knew what it meant to be sleep-deprived. Uh, he knew what it meant to, be, to hunger and to thirst, to be cold and to be naked. He felt the daily pressure of the concern for all of the churches. And if Paul was our missionary, you'd be like, man, Paul, you deserve a sabbatical. T- take about a year off. Take a sabbatical. But we see him not giving up. Actually, it, it fueled him even more to preach the gospel, more boldness. In one of his last letters to Timothy, his, his mentee, if that's even a word, right, the person that he was discipling, his, one of his final letters in the final chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, why, why don't you turn there? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Right, Paul, he's knowing his time on earth is coming to an end. He, he's understanding that, that death is coming for him soon. 2 Timothy 4, chapter 1. And this is how he encourages the person he's discipling, Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4, chapter, uh, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. What does he tell Timothy? Teach the word. Be faithful to the word. Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then we get to verse 6 to 8. We see that Paul understands his time's coming to an end. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we see the Apostle Paul, after his his whole life of being beaten for Christ, being shipwrecked for Christ, 
everything that's happening, the constant pressure of the churches, he tells Timothy what? Don't give up. Continue to preach the word. Endure suffering. Be faithful to your ministry. Fulfill it. Do the work of the evangelist. Preach the gospel. Paul never quit. He continued to trust God's calling and his faithfulness for his life. And I want to wrap up as I'm, as I'm landing the plane here. I want to remind us of this. What we see in Scripture, God delights in exalting in our inability. What does that mean? He intentionally puts his people in situations where they come face to face with their need for him. I think of Joshua chapter 5, the battle of Jericho. He, he tells Israel the plan. How do, you, how do we knock down the walls? What, what do we do? Do we get... Do we start lighting it on fire? How do we stop their trade route? No, march around and blow your trumpets. Okay. Right? God divinely orchestrated that plan so that his people, in the end, when the walls came tumbling down, they wouldn't take the credit and glory. Only God could. Judges 7, Gideon and the 300 men. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for, you, for, for me to give you the Midianites and he says, I don't want Israel boasting in their own strength. So he whittles down Gideon's army to 300 men so that when they're victorious, they can't take the credit. Only God can for God's glory. All right, instead of complaining about our circumstances or giving up, I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I'm like, ah, I just want to, it's so much easier to give up. Why did I go into ministry? Right? Well, imagine if I was just working a 9 to 5 and, and everything, life would be a lot more easier. I don't think it would be because God's calling for me was to be in ministry, to be here. Right? Instead of giving up and complaining, let's trust God and fully rely on His power and His promises even as we go out and make disciples. And I know these past three weeks have been different. For me personally, I, here's the transparency. I wanted to preach and I wanted us to all be honest with ourselves as a church, ourselves with our own relationship with Christ, and ask tough questions because I don't want to go against what God's Word says. I don't want to be an elder or a preacher or, or a church member who doesn't do what's expected in God's Word to do to please God. And my hope and my prayer was just looking through His Word, right, allowing the Spirit to convict you, not me, not to preach with any sort of agenda, but allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, right? As iron sharpens iron, to whittle away the things we don't need and to grow and mature in our faith to become more and more like Christ. And I want to end a little bit different this morning. And it's, I'm going to give you something to do. So each one of you should hopefully have a piece of paper. It was in your bulletin and we handed them out in the beginning. It looks something like this. It's a, a piece of paper that has writing on the top and then the bottom is blank. Right, I want to end by asking us, all of us here, write someone's name down who you would like to share the gospel with. Or write someone's name down that you would like to disciple and to, to build into their life and, and have them grow more in their faith. Right, so I'll give you a minute. Write someone's name down who you would like to share the gospel with. And what you'll do when you're done is you'll rip that piece off, you'll put it in your pocket. And then the second thing I'd like us to do 
I would like us to write an encouraging note or write your favorite Scripture verse. And as we're dismissed and as we leave here this morning, I want you to give it to somebody here in the sanctuary before we leave. So right now, it's, it's okay. We can look around. You can see who's here. Right? But I was thinking, how can we end this series? <clears throat> this series? How can we end this morning? I couldn't think of a better way than to build one another up, encourage one another, love one another, Write your favorite Bible verse or write a little encouraging note. I'll play some background music. We'll take about three to four minutes and I'll pray and as we're dismissed, give it to the person that you had in mind as you're writing this note for them. Right? So write someone's name that you want to share the gospel with, tear it off, put it in your pocket, and then actually give the note to somebody that's here. I'll give us a few minutes and I'm going to play some music while we write. Father, we thank you again for this time together as your people to gather, to praise you, and to worship you. I pray, Lord, that we always stay in awe of you. That we remember the gospel, that we remember the seriousness of our sins, our hopeless spiritual condition, and that we have a great Savior and a great God who loves us so much that he paid the price for us on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love and your amazing grace. God, I pray for each and every name that people wrote down on their paper to share the gospel with. God, only you transform hearts. Only you can call people to salvation. We are commanded to go and to make disciples. I pray that we can be obedient to that calling, but also rely and trust in you. I pray that we can pray for boldness, and zeal, and courage, and strength to share the gospel. I pray, Lord, for our church during this time that we can just continue to make disciples who then go out and make disciples. I pray that the the community, that visitors look at our church and see the love of Christ take place on Sunday mornings in this building. I pray